Let's pray as we come to read from God's holy word in Nehemiah chapter 5. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love to gather in your presence. We love to read your word. And we know that where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of us. And Lord, we know that you are in our midst today by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is here. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us. You would give us a fresh vision of your love for the poor. And you would you would give us the boldness and the energy and the conviction to also love and care for those who are less well off than we are, Heavenly Father. Come, Holy Spirit, and move in our hearts. Give us generous hearts and generous hands to help those who need help from us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 says this, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. Psalm 34 verse 6 says, This poor man cried, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Psalm 41 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of the trouble, the Lord delivers him. Proverbs 14 verse 21 says, Whoever despises his neighbour is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 19 verse 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Isaiah 41 verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst. I the Lord will answer them. I the God of Israel will not forsake them. Mark 10 verse 21 says this. Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Ephesians 4 verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. James 2 verses 15 to 16, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, Um, Be warmed, be filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Brothers, sisters, Christ Church, Fareham, our God cares for the poor. Our God loves the poor and those who are in need. God loves them. And he wants his people, the church, to be generous in caring for those who have less than we have. And so let me ask you what I believe is a challenging and yet direct question. How are you caring for the poor and being generous towards those who are less well off than yourself? What are you doing? Where are you being generous? At the start of Nehemiah chapter 5, the passage that I'm about to read to you, there's the building project going on. They're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. There's an army, an opposition, who are perhaps looking in on Jerusalem thinking, is there an opportunity to invade? Is there an opportunity to discourage the people of Jerusalem and stop what they're doing? Nehemiah himself is the governor over the whole city. He's a busy, busy man. Surely he doesn't have time to care for the poor. 
That's what you might think. There's loads going on in the city of Jerusalem. Surely Nehemiah doesn't have time himself to care for those who are less well off. Well, let's read and discover that, yes, he absolutely does. I'm going to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 5, the whole chapter. Uh, And the words should appear on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as as the flesh of our brothers, our children as as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other, other men have our fields and our vineyards. Nehemiah says, I was very angry. When I heard their outcry and these words, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God, to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labour who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken and emptied out. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, From that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember, for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah chapter 5 starts with a great outcry, doesn't it? The people are coming and saying to Nehemiah, give us grain so that we can eat and stay alive. 
We've known that the city of Jerusalem is a vulnerable city. The walls have been knocked down. We've known that there are enemies and opposition. And it's likely that over the years, these people have come in and plundered the grain and plundered the food from the city of Jerusalem. And so the city of Jerusalem really is in a situation where there are men and women and children who are starving and desperate for food. It says in verse 3 that some of them are mortgaging their fields and their homes in order to pay for the food that they need. They're taking loans against their property in order to buy grain that they need. And some of them are selling those possessions, selling their land, selling their homes in order to pay the king's tax. That's to pay the Persian king who demanded tribute from the, the country that he had invaded. So it's a very dire situation at the start of Nehemiah chapter 5. People are starving. People are suffering with great debt. And verse 5 really tops it all off. In verse 5, there are some families who are so desperate to eat, they're selling their sons and daughters into slavery. They're saying, we, I can't feed my son or daughter. It's better that my daughter go and be a servant and a slave of that noble and that official because at least they would get the food that they need to eat in that situation. And so they're selling their their sons and their daughters into slavery in Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah in verse 6 says of himself that he was angry. He was angry at the situation as he heard about it. Just as we too should be angry at starvation, at poverty and at slavery in our world. If you think that slavery has been abolished, you need to go away and do some research. There's The sex industry is absolutely abhorrent. Women being sold into slavery in order to work in the sex uh, sex industry, absolutely terrible. There are people around the world who suffer from poverty. There are people here in the UK suffering from poverty. And there are certainly people who are starving in this world. And Nehemiah was angry at this situation in Jerusalem. And we, if we care and love other people we should be angry at the suffering that others suffer from especially when there's people in this world including us who can do something about it we should be angry for the injustices that are part of this existence part of this world at the starvation the poverty and the slavery now what does Nehemiah do in his anger in Nehemiah chapter 5 well my first point this morning is that Nehemiah fights for the poor Nehemiah fights for the poor. In verse 7, he brings charges against the nobles and officials. He, he brings charges against those who are benefiting from this disastrous situation. These are nobles and officials are taking land for themselves. They are um, gathering up slaves for themselves. They're growing in wealth as the rest of the people in Jerusalem do not have enough to eat and are suffering under huge debt. And what Nehemiah says to these nobles and officials is, look at Persia. Look, this nation, this Babylon and Persia, these nations that invaded us, they came and conquered us and they carried our brothers into slavery in those nations. Now we have returned to Jerusalem. And what we've done is we've brought people out of slavery in foreign nations and we've brought them home to Jerusalem. And what have they come home to? Exactly the same thing. They were slaves in foreign nations and now because of the way you are acting, they are slaves in their own nation, in their own city. He's he's laying on, he's laying on the accusations thick here, isn't he? He's not holding back, he gathers a great assembly and, and essentially stands up before them and says, what are you doing? 
This wicked evil is happening in the land of Jerusalem and it shall not stand. It says in verse 8 that the nobles and officials listening were silent. They could not defend themselves. And so in verse 10, Nehemiah says of himself and the others in the room, we need to stop demanding interest on the people. If we've got loans that need to be repaid, we need to just give back the money. We need to stop taking the interest. If we've got land that we've taken, we need to give it back. If we've got slaves, they need to be released. And then something amazing happens. Do you remember the nobles in chapter 3? There were nobles who sat back and watched as the people of Jerusalem all rebuilt the wall. They weren't joining in. These are very proud people. These are very rich people um, who are doing well for themselves. And what happens is they agree with Nehemiah. They're convicted in their hearts of what they've been doing. They return the property. They return the money. They stop taking interest. It, It says in the passage that they all do exactly as Nehemiah said they should. This is a major transformation happening in the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah challenges the people and the nobles agree and respond. In fact, they praise God in this moment as they as they go We're giving back the land. We're giving back the wealth we've acquired. It's an amazing thing. Can you imagine if that happened in the United Kingdom? Is that someone stood up and said, there are people who have abundant wealth and are storing up wealth for themselves. And there are other people who don't have anywhere to live, who are suffering in starvation and poverty. And the people and the rich people went, you're right. You're right. We need to give away everything that we've got. It would be this amazing moment of God working and convicting the hearts of people. I believe that it's only possible when the Holy Spirit moves in someone's heart for them to give this generously. It would be an amazing moment if it happened today. It's an amazing moment when it happens in Nehemiah chapter 5. It's a victory of God providing for the starving people. He alerts Nehemiah, he mobilises Nehemiah, Nehemiah speaks and then he works in the hearts of the nobles in order to provide for the poor whom God cares for and loves. I believe that this first part of chapter 5 is a call for Christians to be politically active in fighting for the rights of the poor and the needy. I believe it's a wonderful thing when Christians work in politics and they're able to do a great good. And, you know, it would be wonderful if we had people in this church who were working in politics and able to, you know, use their role to to change this country and to change the world. But even if you don't work in politics, I think all of us need to be challenged from this chapter to engage, to write to our MP, to speak to the council, to educate ourselves, to fight for justice. Nehemiah, this is a political move by Nehemiah. He goes to the rich people in Jerusalem as governor and he says, we need to do something about this. It needs to change. And God does an amazing work through his boldness. And I think as Christians, we need to be politically active. We need to be educating ourselves and fighting for justice. I'm by no means an expert in what it looks like and what it means to be active politically and fighting for justice. But if you want to talk over tea and coffee about some of the things that, some of the ways I'm getting involved, then then please feel free to ask me. There's certainly a lot of information from Christian charities online about particular political battles that Christians should be involved in. And um, I've certainly written to my MP um, a couple of times in 2021 already about a few different things. So um, I'm happy to chat about those different issues. But I think Christians should be actively involved in politics, fighting for justice. Now, you might have noticed when I went through the story there, I skipped verse nine. 
don't know whether you spotted that. I skipped verse 9. This is what Nehemiah says in the, in the council, in the assembly of people in verse 9. The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? What Nehemiah is teaching in that moment is that sin, and in particular the sin of exploiting the poor, comes from a wrong relationship with God. Sin comes from not fearing God. Exploiting the poor comes from not fearing God. Failing to love for the poor and fight injustice in the world comes from a wrong relationship with God. If you truly have a holy fear of God, you will hate sin, you will love the poor, and you will fight injustice in this world. Your wrong behaviour shows that your relationship with God is, is not quite right, that you don't have this holy fear of God that Nehemiah is talking about. And so let me ask you a question. Did you know that Christians are called to have a holy fear of the Lord? Christians are called to have a holy fear of the Lord. Now, some of you might have an unholy fear, a not righteous fear of God. You run scared from God. You think that God is always angry at your sin and he's always, he, he's always there ready to judge you, ready to shout at you, ready to tell you off for all the things you've done wrong. And so what you want to do if you have an unholy fear of God is shrink away from the Lord, is shrink back from him, is run from him in terror because he's always angry at you. If you have an unholy fear of the Lord, you need to be reminded this morning of grace. God says to his children, God says to those who put their faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You are blameless in my sight and you are adopted into my family. I am your father. I always love you. I always love you whatever you do because even when you sin, those sins were paid for by Jesus on the cross. Our relationship is not broken or not ruined by sin because Jesus has re reunited us together, reconciled us together. And so if you have the unholy fear of the Lord and you have a bad day where you perhaps don't pray as you should or you commit sin, you, you think, I've got to, I can't go and read the Bible now. I can't pray now. God's going to hate me today. And that's not true. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, God always loves you with an eternal, everlasting, faithful, steadfast love. And so fear of the Lord, if you're a Christian, should never make you run away from God. If you're not a Christian, by the way, you should have a fear of God and his judgment that is coming at the end of time. But that fear shouldn't make you run away from him. That fear should make you run to Jesus to receive forgiveness for the things you've done wrong. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, um, God tells Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and um, Jonah refuses and runs away from God. He gets on a boat and he tries to go. This is, this is what people with an unholy fear of God do. They get on a boat and they try and get away, as far away from God as possible. That's unholy fear. That's being scared and therefore running away from God. Holy fear of God draws us closer to him. Let me explain what I mean. Most of us in the United Kingdom, in the church in the UK, um, have been in settings where churches have spoken a lot about God's love. I certainly grew up in a church where every sermon was about just how much God loves me. And so I, I left with a warm, fuzzy feeling every week going, oh, God really loves me. Now, that's true. 
But if that's the only thing you ever preach and ever declare, then you're not getting a true picture of who God is and how we are to relate to him. And so most of us have heard much about the love of God, but we need to grow in holy fear of God. Holy fear is not a fear of punishment or hell because Jesus died on the cross. He bore the punishment that we deserved upon the cross. So we don't fear going, we don't fear hell. We know that we are rescued. We know that we are saved. We know that Jesus died for us. And, it's, and holy fear is not a fear, as I said, that makes you run away from God. No, a holy fear is a fear mixed with the love of God that causes us to draw near to God in faith, obedience and prayer. Let me um, give you an example from my own life. I have um, a great dad. I have a great mum as well. My parents were wonderful Christians and brought me up to love God. My dad was generally a very calm and gentle man, but on some occasions he would get angry um, when my sister and I were misbehaving. So um, and my sister and I always knew that if my dad shouted, we'd pushed it too far because he very rarely shouted. So it was a, it was a rare occasion. But when he did, my sister and I would go, oh, what have we done? We've done something really terrible. And, and you know, we were, in this sense, we were quite good children in that we would instantly go, we've pushed my dad too far. We need to draw close to him and start doing what he's telling us to do. And that's how we would respond in that moment. And that was a moment of fear mixed with love. We knew my dad would never hurt us. He loved us. He would never do anything to hurt us or anything like that. So we knew that his anger was because he loved us. And so we feared the anger and drew close to my father, drew close to him, started to obey him and do what he told him. So if he, it was literally, if he shouted, we just knew that that was the moment when we pushed him too far. And I can think of specific moments in my childhood where he just, he just reached that moment of shouting. We didn't run away from him we started to obey what he was telling us to do because it was fear mixed with love and mixed with the knowledge that he loved us and cared for us. Do you see what I mean about this, this fear, this respect, this yeah, reverence and awe for my father that I had and that's what we should have for God, an, an awe, a reverence towards God because he is mighty, he is glorious, he is holy, he's great in power as we've already sung this morning. When you experience this holy fear of God, you think, I need to stay with Christ in faith. I need to stay in this place of believing in Christ because God is awesome in his holiness. And also when we have this holy fear, we think this is one who must be obeyed. This is one who deserves my obedience. So let me ask you, do you have this holy fear in your heart of God, of this awesome, majestic God and does this holy fear manifest itself in obedience? This is what Nehemiah is saying. Ought you not to walk in the fear of the Lord? Ought you not to do the thing that is right and good that God commands you to do? In this instance, which is caring for those who are less well off than yourself. It's loving the poor and looking after those who are less well off. Do you have this holy fear of God in your heart? Let me encourage you, if you don't, spend time gazing 
at the holiness and perfection and power of God. Get your Bibles open and start to read, you know, maybe read the plagues in the book of Exodus and go, wow, this God is mighty. He can turn the river into blood. He can call upon the locusts and they will swarm. He can do all things. He is mighty in every single way. Get your Bible open. Start to read some of the Psalms which declare the greatness and holiness of God. Start to see God in his power and you will begin to feel this holy fear rising fear that doesn't make you run in terror but rather draw closer to him in faith and obedience because nehemiah 5 verse 9 teaches us that those who fear god will love and care for the poor if you've got your relationship with god right you will live right so we need to be politically active fighting injustice we need to fear god in a holy way in order that we might express that fear by fighting for the poor, just as Nehemiah does. But now we must also consider the second half of chapter 5. And my second point from Nehemiah chapter 5 is that Nehemiah is personally generous. Verses 14 to 19. I think there are a lot of people who think that if you're going to fight poverty, you just appeal to politicians and tell them to sort their lives out and get it right. And that's what fighting poverty really looks like. Well, Nehemiah demonstrates that, yes, we need to be politically active, but we also need to be personally generous. There are some people, I believe, who just comment on social media about how the politicians got it wrong, but never personally give generously or sacrificially. Nehemiah doesn't do it. Nehemiah does both. He goes to the nobles and officials. You guys have got it wrong. You need to sort it out. And they repent. And from verse 14 onwards, we see how wonderfully generous this man Nehemiah um, was. And it, it says that the reason he was generous, end of verse 15, is because of his fear of God. His generosity stems from his fear of God. And so Nehemiah refuses the food allowance of the governor which sounds like it was pretty rich and expensive. The gov- previous governors got lots of money to spend on food for themselves. But Nehemiah says, I, don't, I won't take that money. I refuse to take that money. It's placing too high a burden on the people of Jerusalem. He doesn't acquire any lands for himself. You know, he's the governor. He could probably go, that field, that's going to be mine now. But he doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't acquire any lands for himself. In fact, out of his own pocket, He feeds 150 Jews officials and even people from other nations as well are invited in. He's feeding them out of his own pocket. That must have been amazing to be at those feasts, mustn't it? You know, Nehemiah says, come, there's a, I think, I can't remember the the food that he prepares, but I've got six choice animals that are ready for you. And every 10th day, I'm going to have an abundance of wine and I just want to feed those people who are hungry. I'm going to feed Jews. I'm going to feed officials. I'm even going to invite people outside the city walls to come in and receive from my generosity. This man was a generous, generous man out of his own pocket, paying to feed other people. And I think the prayer in verse 19 is a real challenge. I wonder whether you can join Nehemiah in praying this prayer. Nehemiah prays, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. I wonder whether if you said that prayer, it would be genuine prayer or it would be like, Lord, remember all I've done. Oh, I'm not sure I can remember anything that I've done. I want us to be people who can say, Lord, remember all that we have done for the people of Pharaoh. Lord, remember all that we have done for the people of this nation, for the people of this world. I want to say personally in my prayer time, Lord, remember the things that I have done to love and care for those who are less well off than me. I want to be able to pray this prayer with Nehemiah. And quite frankly, right now, Nehemiah is putting me to shame 
He's feeding 150 people a day out of his own pocket because of his lavish generosity towards the people who need food more than he does. And so we've been challenged to be politically active. We've been challenged by Nehemiah to be abundantly generous to the poor. And did you notice that there was a priority in Nehemiah's giving? Nehemiah fights for the poor in Jerusalem and the hungry in Jerusalem first. He looks after his own people. That's, for Christians, we have that same priority, to look after our own people first. And the ch- this church, we have a line in our budget which is called Mercy Fund, which is designed to help people who need help. We can pay for food, we can pay for shelter if required, we can pay for taxis, we can pray. When think people need, need help with various different things, they are invited to get in contact with us and we have money in, set aside in the budget to make sure that everybody who steps foot in this room, who becomes part of this church, is looked after as they should be. There shouldn't be anyone hungry or anyone starving or any, anyone suffering in this church. And I'm hoping over the years that that line has to become bigger and bigger as more people come in who are poor and starving and struggling. And we go, yeah, come and be a part of us. We've got money to look after you. You will not go hungry. You will be well fed. You'll be well looked after. You know, every 10th day, an abundance of wine for you. Um, That won't be a church policy, I promise. But, you know, that idea of just being radically generous towards people so that everyone in the church is looked after. And so I say, if you are someone who is struggling, you need to communicate that because we don't know about that and we want to help you and look after you. But also be encouraged in terms of your giving to the church is this is what we want to use it for, to make sure nobody goes hungry and everybody is well looked after. So there is a priority biblically to look after your own people first. And, and Nehemiah has a priority looking after the Jews first. He says when he invites people to his table, it's, it's Jews and officials. Um, and, I, and I think we should say that we should apply this in this way to us. If there isn't a need here in Fairham, we should be looking for Christians around the world to look after as well. It's not just Christians here in Fairham. We're part of a global church and we want to look after Christians around the world. In fact, even in the last couple of weeks, the church has given money to, um, La- I don't know how to say this, Laos, Laos, um, the country Laos, where um, some Christians, they gave their lives, they converted to Christianity and as a consequence of converting to Christianity they were persecuted for their faith people rose up and destroyed their homes immediately can you imagine if we lived in a country like that where you convert to Christianity and someone just comes and knocks down your house because of what you've done that's real faith in Christ isn't it to go well I'm going to believe in Christ even though that means someone's going to come and knock down my home so we've given money to a charity that we're connected with through um, Jeff and Laurie and Cry Um, we've given money to support those new Christians who have had their houses knocked down to go and rebuild for them somewhere else um, so we as Christians we need to have a heart for the people in this room in this church we need to have a heart for Christians around the world and finally Nehemiah doesn't stop there does it does he people outside the walls come in people outside Israel and so we also need to have a heart for those who are outside the church people who are needy and suffering outside the church we we make sure everyone in the church is looked after first but then we go Right, we're doing, we're doing all right. We have lots of people who are well off. Let's go and find those people who really need our generosity. And so I, I've, I end with the question that I started. In fact, I've got one more point to make, actually. But let me just remind you of the question I started with. How are you caring and being generous towards those less well off than yourself? Are you radically generous and politically active as Nehemiah is in this chapter? But as we admire the generosity of Nehemiah in chapter 5, what we are really seeing is the generosity of God. Nehemiah's generosity comes from his fear of God. His love, from God mean, his love for God means he reflects God's attitude in the way that he lives. 
and particularly this banquet scene where Nehemiah has 150 people round for dinner reminds me of a parable that Jesus told. The parable of the banquet or the parable of the wedding feast in the New Testament in Luke chapter 14. And in this story that Jesus tells, there's a king. And the king invites lots of people to the wedding feast, to the wedding banquet, but they all start to make excuses. Lots of their excuses have to do with personal wealth, by the way. Someone says, oh, I've just bought a field and I need to go and inspect the field, so I'm not going to come to the feast. Another person says, I've just bought five oxen and I need to take them to my farm and make sure that they're bedded in okay. Another person says, I've just got married, so I'm not going to come to the feast either. And so the king says, well, if they're not going to come to my feast... I will go out into the streets, into the fields, into the hedgerows, and I will invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame to come to my banquet feast. And this parable is a metaphor for exactly how God acts. He sends out an invite to everybody. Come to the feast, come to the feast. And people who have interest in this earth, people who have wealth in this earth, tend to go, no thanks, I'm good. I've, I've got enough here. I've got a new field that I'm going to go and prance about in. I've got a new you know, Ferrari that I'm going to drive around town. I've got, I've got um, a marriage and a family and I'm going to put all my energy into family and I'm going to ignore you, Lord God. I've got things here on earth that are making me happy, that are satisfying me. And so they reject God's invitation. And so God sends out his invitation to those who are less well off, to those who are poor to those who are injured, to those who suffer with disease. And they, in their poverty and in their need, come to the feast which God invites them to. We have a God who loves and cares for the poor. He often chooses the weaker people and the weaker things of this world to be, come be part of his kingdom, to, be, to come be part of his family. This is the compassionate God that we love. This is the compassionate God that we worship. Given that we have such a compassionate God, may his love extend through us to reach out to those people who are not as well off as ourselves. Let us fear God and express that fear by loving and caring for the poor, just like Nehemiah does in chapter 5. Come on, church. Let's step up on this. We don't parade. We don't parade our personal generosity. We keep it secret. But let this be a moment where we are stirred to love and care for people who need our love and care because God loves and cares for those people. Can we stand as I pray for us? And then I invite Dio up. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who loves the poor and loves the needy. And Lord, we recognise that we were poor, maybe not financially, but we have been poor spiritually in our lives. And we were poor because we were without you, we were without your love, we were without eternal life. And you came and rescued us in our poverty and brought us into the kingdom of God where we have the wealth of knowing Jesus in all situations. Lord, thank you that you loved us when we were poor and needy. Thank you that you do love the poor and needy. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us a generous heart. Each of us individually, give us generous hearts. And as a church, give us generosity that goes way beyond where we are now, Lord God. We want to reflect your love. We want to reflect your care for those who are less well off. And and Lord, we want to have the healthy, holy fear in our hearts of you. May we respect you and have awe of you and know your power and your holiness. And I pray that that attitude leads itself to faith, 
to drawing close to you and into obedience, particularly in this area, Lord God. I pray you would bring in people who, who need help. I, I pray you'd bring in the needy of our town. I pray you, you bring in those who are struggling with poverty, that we might love them, that we might care with them, and most importantly, that we might share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is a saviour, that there is one who loves, who dies on the cross for our sins, that there is one of power who rose from the grave, death could not hold him, that he ascended into heaven and he reigns, and one day he's coming again. And when he comes, he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and all wrongs will be put to right, all injustices will be destroyed and justice will reign, love will reign, peace will reign. Lord, we long for that day, but we want to declare that message to the people who need to hear it the most. And so I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you send us out to love the poor and to declare this glorious gospel, which we believe. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.